welcome one and all to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. And I'm Stefan Etienne. And today we're talking to Ben Hammersley, a futurist, author, and potential paramedic. This is Technotopia. Welcome back. This is the second issue. Can, do you believe that we've actually done two two episodes here? I'm surprised we did, but it looks like it's picking up steam. You know? Yeah. Well, let's let's see what we can do. We've got we we want your uh, we want your tips. We want your advice. If you can recommend us some uh, some good futurists, that'd be helpful. How how can they get in touch with us? Uh, they can get in touch with us at tips at technotopia.cc email, or you know you can just go to technotopia.cc and you'll have all the contact information. To and that's actually going to be our website now, technotopia.cc, where we're going to hang out and talk to cool people. Yeah. So the mission is to yeah, have we're past that as... the doc- <laughs> it's, it's it's a we're we're already in the future. We're 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 reaching the uh, we're reaching the theoretical limits of dot com. Um, yes. So it's looking good. So Ben is an interesting character. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast. This this was we ran from all sorts of uh, topics. We ran from zombie movies to uh, survivalists to the fact that he has a pilot's license, paramedics, paramedics, all kinds of other good stuff. And I think uh, I think Stefan and I got some questions in. Uh, but if you want to hear someone who really knows what they're talking about, you can listen to Ben. He'll be up next. And do we have anybody? Do we have any idea who we're bringing on next, Stefan? Um. Well, we've got a few extra people from Ben that are going to come on to the podcast, including a woman who can make cranes dance. Like cranes, <laughs> like like the, the, the bird cranes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. industrial construction. The bird, the, like birds are in, industri- industrial stuff. Yeah, yeah. Industrial stuff, like the big cranes that are up above the things, above yeah. buildings? Oh, I, wow. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's not, a- <laughs> no, not, no, not whooping cranes, not no. Wo- <laughs> okay, this I got to see. Here we go. Let's play Ben's interview. This is Ben Hammersley, futurist, journalist, writer, and he has a amazing mustache. That he does. Here we go. Episode two of Technotopia. We're here with Ben Hammersley, a futurist, a technologist, a you said a man about town. <laughs> right. So right. Ben, if you could briefly tell us what's there to be happy about. Well <laughs> I mean in you know, the thing about when you're talking about the future about whether things are uh, optimistic or pessimistic or you know, the classical dark futures, a blade runner thing, or the utopian futures or whatever. I think one of the things you have to bear in mind is is that no matter what happens, life goes on, right? So, so there's one of the things to be happy about is the fact that there won't be a dark, you know, a dark future. There mm-hmm. won't be the Mad Max sort of uh, survivalist, fetishist sort of, you know, Terminator, Blade Runnery 
future because we'll always find good stuff anyway, right? I mean, the, the, the problem that I have with those sorts of visions of, of, a, of a dark future is that there's never any space within them for uh, simple human pleasures and the sort of universal simple human pleasures which we've had for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And as, as so the sort of things I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, not just sort of romance and poetry and dancing and music and all of those sorts of things, but, but and maybe speaking as a, as a sort of a European, this is, is perhaps much more of a European or an old American city sort of a thing, but, sure. but things like pavement cafes and, you know, cycle lanes and things like that, those sorts of just, day, you know, like pastries, right? You know, <laughs> the day-to-day sort of optimi- optimistic thing. So, so no matter how uh, weird technology gets or how society changes, we'll always have croissants and espresso. And so there's, so, and I think I take a lot of optimism from, from that fact that, that, that there will always be um, Fred Astaire videos and, and there'll always be, you, you know. Can guarantee that there's always going to be croissants and espresso? Always, yeah, absolutely. But 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 to, to to come back to the real, you know, spirit of the question, mm-hmm. what is there to be optimistic about in terms of in terms of technology? I think there are there are a few technologies that are coming out that are coming out over the past few years, which which make me uh, insanely excited and insanely optimistic about about things. Um, I think that there is. Uh, uh, and, and so, the, for example, there would be uh, there's great breakthroughs in genetic engineering with a with a technique called CRISPR, which is one of the most exciting things in the life sciences. You know, in the history of life sciences, it's, it's set to. I hate this phrase because mm-hmm. you hear, hear this all the time, but it is set to revolutionise the field, right? Um, so I think we're on the we're in the golden age of life sciences in terms of genetics. We're absolutely at the beginning of a golden age of space exploration. And I think that that's something to be incredibly optimistic and, and extraordinarily excited about. I think we're on um, the verge of uh, a huge um, transformation in the way that we use uh, personal computing and specifically around um, interfaces and specifically around artificial intelligence. And I think that there's a, when we talk about AI, it's, it's sort of traditional to sort of invoke Terminator and to invoke um, sort of dark futures but actually i think there's a huge uh optimism possible there uh and i think that there's there's also a a great social optimism possible when you think about uh the maturing use of the internet the maturing use of the web and of social media and so on and i I think there's a a great deal more positivity to come out of those than negativity Mm -hmm. and, and we just it's just so so early in its life cycle that we, that we haven't, we're not necessarily seeing it right now, but I think there's a huge amount to be optimistic for all of those things. So, so like I say, so in life sciences, in, in space exploration, in social sciences, uh, there's just huge amounts of cool stuff. What is, what's compelling, what's compelling in, uh, I guess to some of the folks who do believe in dystopia, why would someone go in their basement and perhaps we should get one of these guys on, why would someone mm. go in their basement and put all their cans down there and make a fallout shelter in preparation for the coming whatever apocalypse? Well, because, well, there, I, th- I think there are two theories behind this. I think the first thing to note that it is it's, it's almost a universally 
um, exclusively American phenomenon. Um, you don't really get that those sorts of you know Montana survivalists in the middle of Provence, right? You don't get them in Tuscany. You don't get them in in the Pennines, and you know you don't get the, you don't get them in Europe, hmm. for example. I don't know about Asia, but it's it's specifically a, a, an American thing, and I think it's it's tied in with a couple of things. It's tied in with uh, a, a the myth of the West and the myth of the rugged individualist and and the the sort of the cowboy myth mm-hmm. so there's so there's i think that, and that's very very deep in the american psyche and so that's that's it sort of harks back to that and i think to a certain degree it's all a massive uh um it's all a massive metaphor for a deep-centered racism uh, if you look at a lot of the survival stuff, and, and specifically over the past few years, a lot of the survivalist stuff has, has sort of rejiggered itself and renamed itself like zombie survival, specifically. Mm-hmm. If you look at and, – and it's very, very easy. It, it's, it's, I think it's very obvious once you realize what that is. That is almost universally a, um, a massive euphemism for uh, immigration mm-hmm. and – and specifically, um, Mexican immigration, Islamic immigration, and sort of and uh, uh, the 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 multiculturalization of the center of the center of America. You don't really get these people in Los Angeles, where I am now, or, or like New York, or you know, in multicultural cities. But you do get them in the, in the middle of Iowa, where which is a predominantly white um, working class quotes traditional american audience who who feel for various socio-political and economic reasons sort of under siege as it were and and it's just part of that tradition of um uh, from john wayne movies all the way through to sort of you know red dawn if you remember that film no, but, sure. you know patrick swayze right you know it's it's all about they're the last stand and 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 all that because if you think about if you think about the um I love these. I love those magazines specifically. I always, I you know, I lived in the states now for six months, and but I come here <laughs> beforehand. I come, I've come here all the time, right? And whenever I come to the U.S., I love, I love going to magazine stores, sure, and, and Barnes and Noble uh, and stuff. They, like they still exist. I've, I haven't seen a magazine. Oh sure, okay, okay, sure, oh sure, sure, sure. Like Barnes and Noble has amazing magazine collection, mm-hmm. and 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 those survivalist magazines are, uh, are amazing. They're they're brilliant because it's sort of. It's like the Vogue or GQ of the desperate white male, because it's it's just cool stuff to buy to to make you feel manly, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think that if you read if you read all that stuff, the narrative is always at some point there will be an apocalypse. Something will happen mm-hmm. at this specific time and date. You know, like an alarm clock goes off and like the world ends. And at that point, you, the rugged individual with your survival kit in your in your belt pack and your Glock revolver, right? Or your Glock pistol will like you'll be stride useful out. Again. You'll be useful you'll, again. You'll be useful again. But not only will you be useful again, you will make your way from the inner city out through the through the the inner city, which is filled with these zombies quotes, uh, you know. Uh, 
and you'll battle your way out of the city into the pristine wilderness <laughs> where you will you know trap small animals and fish and recreate the pristine america that god god intended right and of course if you're actually uh, actually if you were genuinely a survivalist right if you were genuinely thinking about how to survive after a major emergency mm-hmm. like say an earthquake here in los angeles the last thing you would do would be to go into the countryside you know battle your way out of the city because that's where you will die mm-hmm. because there's no food there's no water there's no people right <laughs> um, you know there's no civilization and it's and so it's so when you think about it actually what they talk about in terms of survival is nothing to do with survival it's about this hero narrative of the of the single rugged individual going out there and being mad max or being the pale rider you know being john wayne on a horse you know being all that sort of stuff and it's a and it's a fundamental part of the american psyche and it's nonsense but it's nonsense for many reasons it's nonsense because the end of the world is not coming and if the end of the world does come it's not going to happen at 12 o'clock on you know on a specific <laughs> day it's it's it'll be a gr- long and gradual pro- process like the fall of the roman empire or something like that it'll take 500 years and and also that narrative of what you do when the end of the world as we know it happens, as in battle your way out past all the black people to get to the countryside where you can hunt antelope, is 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 bullshit. So I think all of that thing is just hilarious. And because it's hilarious, you can sort of like look at it as, as a as an artifact of um the changing place in society or the perceived changing place in society mm-hmm. of of that sort of disempowered uh, white male and so it's really interesting to then see to then think about why is that the case why are these people why do these people feel like this you know why do the oregon militia who are in the news at the moment you know why are they feeling like that what is what is it that's driving that and what's driving that is um modernity and everything that we talk about in modernity that that makes me feel optimistic is to other people um necessarily incredibly challenging because it involves a change in their way of life. It involves mm-hmm. a change in the way they, they view the world. And so it's quite difficult to talk about optimism because um, one person's optimism is another, makes another person very uncomfortable. But if you talk about dark things, if you talk about pessimism, then actually that's incredibly hopeful because everybody has an ego that makes them think that, that should the end of the world happen, <laughs> the they'll, yeah, they'll be Mad Max, right? They'll, they'll, be, they'll be the survivor. Everybody thinks that they're Snake Plissken. Right. Everybody thinks that they're John McClane. Everybody, you know, there's that great, um, I can't remember which book it's in, but that, I, it's, in, it's in Snow Crash where he says that every man up until the age of 25 feels that if they, you know, if they stopped everything and went away into the mountains and trained for two years, they would become the baddest ass person in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody thinks they could be Batman. And so the dark futures are inherently optimistic and addictive because people, like say well you know if the blade runner future happens of course i will be the badass mm-hmm. and actually they but but a they wouldn't but b that's never gonna happen anyway so, it's, so we're so we're literally doing the wrong podcast we need to go alex jones on this whole thing and well say... yeah exactly so exactly if you went alex jones on the whole thing and you would find a whole lot of people who are incredibly optimistic about the future because but their optimism will be uh, the, the end of the world is coming. The end of civilization and is coming. But, it, it. Mm-hmm. but I'm going to, yeah, they're going to make it, and they're going to be 
inevitably like the leader of the of the faction right (laughs) that's why people like watching the walking dead or something like that because they because everybody thinks of themselves as the hero and nobody thinks of themselves as a zombie or nobody thinks of themselves as like the uh as like the uh the dude who's kind of on the fence about saving everybody and just wants to hang out in the town Right, Stefan. I think we're. I think literally, we could probably just give. We could just give Ben the podcast, and we could probably leave. I think is what. (laughs) Essentially, Um, it's it's a brilliant point that Ben brought up here because I do I do believe what he's mentioned specifically regarding this being mostly an American almost fetish, really. Um, The the idea that um, the end of the world is nigh and you must prepare yourself. And if you have a Swiss army knife, a Gorok backpack and a pair of like really nice military boots, you've got a fighting chance at leading the next. Right. I, I grew up in uh, Ohio. I had a really sweet Rambo knife. I don't know if you guys had those in, right. in the UK. Right. When, but you were, when you were 12 years old, right? Oh, I still have it. I still have it. <laughs> of course. And, 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 and I, and I, you know, I love looking at, you know, going into knife shops and staring at the survival knives as much as any other guy, right? But the thing is, is I don't, I don't then buy it and then prepare myself in some sort of training montage <laughs> for the time the internet stops and like we have to go to the hills. You know, this is the thing that frustrates me about these survivalists: is they learn that they they know an awful lot about crossbow hunting, but they don't know anything about like first aid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or or like you know taking care of old people or or any of that sort of stuff it's You're a it's survivalist a, to hell with the old people well, exactly, well quite we'll eat the old people I'm, I'm <laughs> like but and so it's um because because i fundamentally think that you know if we're going to should, should things really go to hell then the only way we where we places we will survive will be places where we can still get ourselves a coffee and sit in the sit in the table and watch the world go by right It'll be the places with the cycle lanes and the coffee shops and the multicultural districts and the public libraries and, and all of those sorts of things. You know, the sort of urbanity of the big cities, not the the places in the middle of nowhere. Um, those guys are just going to starve to death after a few years when the mm-hmm. when the tin goods run out. Right. You need to be civilization is is a, is the inherently optimistic thing, and so I think when we're talking about the future of 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 anything, we need to be talking about how does this add to the urban civilization? What does this do for us? How does this make us more connected? How does this make us more civilized in that in that classical long form, you know, long term view? How how do we bec- how do how do you make um, how do you make say an American city more like Rome, mm-hmm. not just in its lifestyle, but in terms of the fact that you know Rome has been there for whatever it is. 3,000 years and Rome will still be there in another thousand years and people will still be eating the same food and drinking the same coffee and sitting at the same tables and and doing all of those human things in a thousand years time and that to me is inherently optimistic not this idea that we will you know the the world is going to end and then but don't but don't worry because I have myself a specific camelback backpack and you know the latest shiny shiny gadget then i'm going to survive in the hills outside mm-hmm. los angeles right so in that case as a person you ben what yes. are you doing to make sure that it's not going to end up that way that there's not going to be a dystopia um what are you working on are you working on anything in particular <laughs> are you working on yourself 
I know I have martial, my martial arts skills, but that's not necessarily the crux of this conversation. Like you said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We'll, we'll focus on the crossbow hunting and not focus on you know what's the best part of the body to protect in this sort of a scenario if you're falling down you know a ravine or something. Right. Well, actually, it's, it's interesting. I have sort of been thinking about this a lot, and so not not in terms of I think the world is going to end, but in terms of I do a lot of future scenario work for for clients and and we talk about 10 or 20 year scenarios and there are major challenges ahead of us climate change specifically um is a is a real big problem and there there especially in the US because for example Florida is going to be underwater like mm-hmm. yes my you know now. all of that sort of stuff and so and so we do face major social challenges and we do we do face perhaps imminent um acute things of where where there will be terrible weather or or just just situations where where we will need to have um coping skills that we which which we don't necessarily practice very much today and so as part uh, after doing this work for a, for a few years i have started to look at uh what things do i need to know individual as an individual f- for my community and for my family and all of that sort of stuff and so um actually this year i'm i'm starting school at ucla to become a paramedic um partly because it's a deeply nerdy and interesting thing to do mm-hmm. but and um, but also because and because also once I'm once I have that qualification, I can then be a productive and commu- and sort of you know useful member of the community, uh, give back to the community in some way. But also because I think those sorts of skills will always be useful when you know the earthquake happens or when the next El Nino storm rolls in next week or when you know part of my family is in louisiana and you know the next katrina rolls through so is the mission um, to become a permanent like a full-time paramedic or just to just to know the skills well it's, it, i wouldn't i wouldn't do it full-time because i have other things to do but mm-hmm. but certainly to to do it part-time and to and to be to, to remain qualified and for example i'm about two weeks off becoming a getting my pilot's license and so i'm sort of upskilling in those sorts of fundamental things but but I'm not doing that in a sort of with an eye to the to the idea that the first of October 2018, the end of the world is going to happen. I'm worried or, that you might be you might be uh, bluffing, though, because it seems like it seems like with your paramedic <laughs> training, and your pilot training, you're going to be far more useful than you actually claim. So then you can then and all the other guys, you're kind of like talking them down like the other militia guys. Right. Well, like, I will be their leader, of course. I mean, you know, they they will like, have to bow to me. No, I, I mean, like no. you're about to go meet Tom Petty in some uh, in some uh, what should we call it waterfall somewhere, <laughs> and you're going to be the guy who takes everybody right. to, to Pittsburgh. That's right. But That's I, right. I believe I, I deduce what you're saying here, Ben. It's not so much about being prepared for the next apocalypse. It's being a more well-rounded individual within current society, That's so it. that should the advent of a catastrophe happen those kinds of people will be able to basically uphold the spirit of what it means to be a, hu- a civilized human being. And so that's right, that's right. 
So I used to live in Florence in Italy, and, and Florence is sort of the heart of the Renaissance. And part of, and so I did an awful lot. I studied a lot of the Renaissance. And, and there's a very interesting concept within the Renaissance. So we're talking about the sort of 1450 to about 1650, around then. And there was a there was a, a book by a man called Castiglione, and he wrote this book, which is called The Art of the Courtier. And, um, and it was all about uh, chivalry. And, and it was specific. It was, it was like a like a how to guide of how to be a Renaissance gentleman. And it was an extremely popular book across Renaissance Europe. And within that, he had there were various there was various sort of lists. It was it was it was it's sort of like Men's Health magazine but mm-hmm. for the for, for Renaissance Italy. And so it had all these lists of things that you should be able to do as to be a complete rounded individual to be this Renaissance man. That's where the sort of the, that phrase comes from. And so, he, you know, it was everything from you should be able to uh, be fight in a war. Play you should instrument. be able to, yeah, play an instrument. That's right. You know, write, write love poetry in a particularly tricky style. You should be able to speak multiple languages. You should be able to do all these different things. And, you should, and, and so the complete Renaissance man should be able to do all of these things. And then, and then the, 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 my favorite Italian word is the phrase is the word sprezzatura, which is this quality of um, being an expert in something, but making it look as if you're doing it for the first time. It's like this sort of casual mastery. Like, so, so the trick is that, of course, you go away and in private you practice like, all the time mm-hmm. so that you become so good at it. That you just like, you know, you when you're in public, you're like, oh, um, I've never done this before, but let me see if I can play this harp. And then, of course, you pick up the harp and you play it beautifully. <laughs> and, you know, and it was this incredible, and it basically is to pick up girls, right? This is how they sure. did this 500 years ago. But I, I, I was very influenced by that sort of idea of uh, the Castiglione idea of, of to be a, a fully functioning member of society, you needed to be able to. Um, Sure, you know, you need to be able to uphold yourself. You know, if you get into a fight, then you need to be able to fight properly. But you also, if you, but you also need to be able to write poetry and cook a good meal and, you know, build a house, but also do needlepoint and, you know, all of these things, right? You mm-hmm. need to have this well-roundedness. And, and as I've look as i spend my professional life looking at how the future is you know looking at all these different scenarios about how the future works out and how in my personal life i have you know a baby daughter and all of this sort of stuff i sort of been looking at this over the past few years going okay well like i'm really good at twitter but that's kind of bullshit what i really need to be good at is like you know i need to be good at uh you know, dressing wounds uh, and rewiring a house, and I need to know how an, a generator works. And like, it's really good that I now know how to fly a plane and navigate and all these sorts of things. And, it, and, and so, I've sort of gained this sort of hobby over the past year or so, really, of just like making a list of of sort of I don't know, like like life skills that I should have if I'm going to be Batman mm-hmm. or something like that, right? You know, and just doing that going to you know going to school or, or and and so actually one of the most optimistic things i think that i've that's been really marked over the past year of doing this is that pretty much anything like that you can think of whether it's um learning you know relearning how to do advanced math or 
learning how to bake a cake or becoming a paramedic or whatever it is. The, the 20 years ago when I left school to go and be able to do that sort of stuff would require going to a college, going to a specific place and enrolling in that specific place. And within that physical location, they would have that knowledge and you would have to attend that school and then you would have to, and you would learn how to do it today. There really isn't anything that you can think of where there isn't an enormous amount of resources, free and and commercial, online, where you can't apply yourself and and, and learn that stuff. And I think that's an incredibly optimistic thing. The the potential for self-improvement and thereby community improvement through the web mm-hmm. is 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 astounding and it's only you only realize this when you go you know what i i, I really want to you know i really want to be good at maths again or i really want you know i, I want to be a paramedic or i want to be a pilot whatever it is and you and you apply yourself to that and you then you google around and you realize that actually so then ben <laughs> what we're really looking for is for Batman factories, essentially. <laughs> yeah, but, but but without the really dumb thing of Batman, which is that like Bruce Wayne could solve crime in Gotham City himself because he's a billionaire who controls all of the industry in Gotham City. And so in, going around and individually, individually punching criminals is a ridiculous way of solving crime in Gotham, right? <laughs> Batman's an idiot, right? <laughs> like, you know, he would, he would be much more effective like just instigating better mental health care within his city and he could afford it right going out and dressing up as a bat and punching people is entertaining but it's it's really dumb and i think that's sort of calls back to that um, you know that original exactly. american idea go back to the of original like, american idea interesting right the, you know and the same thing with superman right this old trend like superman's going to save the world no he's not he's going to save individual people falling off cliffs right that doesn't scale it really doesn't scale. Whereas, whereas if it was like the Bruce Wayne school for like, <laughs> and sh- you know, the Bruce Wayne school for like bringing clean drinking water to to, to places that need it, or the you know, <laughs> like Batman's, that would uh, be delivery good. service, uh, medicine so, delivery yeah. service. So technically, more life skills, more productive. Essentially, being a productive member of society. Um, right, and so- that's much more interesting. That's much more interesting. Much more productive than. Um, you know, learning how to make snares for rabbits. So what's very interesting about that perspective is it sounds very collectivist. And therefore, if you bring up collective, collectivist society and the ways of living that is collectivism, then you immediately start to look at Asia. And right. in that case, if we're speaking, let's, we're speaking about America so far, because it looks sure. like that's where most of our scope has been, that the rest of the world isn't fascinated with this concept of the heroic survivalist ranger wannabe right so in that case wouldn't it be essentially asking of of american society which already is incredibly polarizing towards race relations and religion as we can see right now with the current presidential elections sure um is it isn't it asking us to basically worry more about the other man than it is to worry about yourself which is in many ways, you could almost say un-American, despite the fact that patriotism is essentially that ideal, except it's just been wish-washed over the course of more than 100 years. 
I'm I, absolutely, absolutely. The the and I, you know you this is this is the this is the really interesting thing about those those uh, anti-government militia in Oregon at the moment, the Bundys and all that sort of stuff, is that. And and, in, and to a lesser extent, the sort of Silicon Valley libertarians, which is that they're, they're massively hypocritical in that they they both completely reject uh, any sort of collective um, efforts, you know, whether that's government or you know a sort of a or a sort of a mutual sort of uh, burden sharing ideas. Like, so for example, socialized medicine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the U.S. is the only, you know, is the only democratic country in the world that doesn't have socialized medicine, and the rest of the world looks on the American healthcare system with utter horror, mm -hmm. to a degree which I'm, I'm absolutely convinced nobody in America quite understands. Like, nobody, nobody who's here really understands the way that everybody else looks at the American healthcare system. Like, it's insane to a degree that cannot be expressed in English without swearing <laughs> a considerable amount. Um, and, but, but that, but that um, rejection of collectivism is then, is then sort of described as being a fundamentally patriotic idea. And there's a huge, con there's a huge uh, contradiction there because you can't have a, you can't have a country to be patriotic about you can't have a state to be patriotic about without that state being a collective ideal, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think there's a real philosophical problem there that, that, that many people in America need to sort of really think through, which is if you are for America, quotes, as the ideal, you know, and the, the idea of America and the American dream and the Constitution and all those sorts of things, which I absolutely am, then you also then you have to recognize that that means that like we're all in it together mm -hmm. and that means that we have to therefore you know that that your suffering is my suffering or you know somebody else's poverty is my poverty and therefore we need to get together and sort of sort these things out as a in, as a collective as as a country and america becomes you know america is one of those uh, uh, all countries like this but but what makes countries great is when that happens so essentially what we're looking for is an apocalypse to occur in the United States for everyone to band together. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, unseen. <laughs> but but the, unseen, right. But but the thing is is that's exactly but that's but that is actually usually what happens, right? Is that if you look at all the social science research into grand disasters, you know, earthquakes, floods, fires, you know, those sorts of things where you know where there where Things affect thousands of people, even blackouts in New York City. Right? If you look into all of the research onto it, not not the not the headlines, not the news headlines, but the, but the just the sort of the long term research. Remember, like say the big blackouts in New York a few years ago, mm -hmm. or or nine eleven even post nine eleven. Um, those sorts of major events are characterized actually by massive amounts of automatic. Um, social good people help each other out automatically like actually the world is okay if there's a blackout in new york and everybody has to walk home across the bridges or you know you can look and the, like i say there's been many many studies of this 
um, everybody along the route hands out water and people make sure, you know, people look after each other. People look after strangers in cities. You know, sure, people who don't want that to be a thing will find the one-off examples of the odd mugging and the odd, you know, that those sort of those little things but in general people are good in general when bad things happen everybody bands together and helps each other out in general that's and interesting so, that you mentioned that because right before my exit of high school thank god um, one <laughs> ap course that i was required to take was ap psychology um and one interesting thing that that brings about is yes generally most people are good but it also plays into the bystander effect which if you're familiar with right but the kitty genovese case right which is that bystander mm -hmm. effect thing that you undoubtedly did in that in that class right um that's been recently uh, reassessed mm -hmm. and debunked absolutely um and again you have to look into the there's been there's quite a lot of those social psychology things which are taught as tropes which actually when they've been revisited, you find that, they're in, that their analysis was politically driven. So the other one was, the famous one is the marshmallow test around, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, sort of children. being able to resist. Yeah, yeah uh, children. Uh, the whole thing is delayed gratification. Right. Delayed gratification, yeah. exactly. The, uh, yeah, so the, so the idea being, as you know, you know, you, you uh, put a child in a room with a, in front of a plate with a marshmallow on it you say you can either eat the marshmallow now or if you wait 15 minutes we'll give you two and they did it as a longitudinal study so they they tested all these children and then 20 years later they went back and they revisited them and they found what had happened in their lives and the and the general theory was that the kids who took the marshmallow immediately did worse in their life over those 20 years than the kids who had the self-possession and the delayed gratification capabilities to wait mm -hmm. those 15 minutes and right and this has always been used specifically amongst the right-wing politicians to, to show that um, the only route to success is mm -hmm. self-denial and that there are some people who are um, fundamentally unsuited to success because they are graspers and all this sort of stuff, right? And it's always been used as a way to dismiss, specifically to dismiss the poor because it's used in reverse to show that people are poor because they are... Um, somehow fundamentally lacking in self-discipline or something like that, right? And what they, f what when this was revisited a few years ago, what they found was that um, what the experimenters had failed to do was to take into account the the mental state of those children in the first place. And what they hadn't specifically hadn't controlled for was um, whether or not those children believed the adults. And so what they found was that the kids who, who took the marshmallow immediately, a very large proportion of them had, been in, had grown up in situations where they had no trust at all of, of adults. So they basically, when the, when the experimenter says, you can, if you leave that for 15 minutes, we'll give you a second one, the kids went, I don't believe you. Right. I, you know, I, I don't believe you because because I because I've heard this sort of story before, and every single time I've heard it, I've been betrayed, and I've ended up I've ended up with no marshmallows. So I shall take this marshmallow now, which I have 100% certainty of having, rather than risk it all, because you, as a person in in authority, uh, I have learned that people in authority are not to be trusted. 
And so it turns out that once you filter for that, that self, the, the, whether they took marshmallow or not is irrelevant for their long-term um, prospects. And their long-term prospects is, were entirely based on what they had learned, what they'd learned already about society, and that was based entirely on their social economic status when they started off the experiment when they were kids. Basically, if if they were already sort of poor and being screwed over by society, their choice of taking the marshmallow mm. reflected that, and then of course that then transmitted into their future prospects. And so that's why that experiment was wrong. But we've we've used that result of that experiment as uh, as a trope to sort of to say what society is like and the same thing with the kitty genovese experiment and uh, not experiment but kitty genovese you know case mm -hmm. and and i think that actually when we can when we step back and we can say well actually no you know we can we can solve these kids problems by as a society deciding that it's wrong <laughs> that that they're poor in the first place and like dealing with the fundamental issues that and once you start to do that, then you realize that a level, a level playing field or a leveling playing field is much better for everybody concerned, um, including all the people who didn't need it leveling in the first place, right? The, the privileged or the better off. Um, then we can become, then we can actually make the place better. And that's now, but what I'm saying here is the sort of thing which would have people on certainly the Republican side of the political spectrum here in the US frothing at the mouth and screaming at me for being a socialist mm -hmm. whereas in europe what i've just said is like obvious to, to the point <laughs> to the point where it doesn't even have a label it's just like like if i was having this conversation now in front of a load of scandinavians they'd be looking at me like why are you even mentioning this yes yes of course and also the sky is blue like tell me something <laughs> new like what are you so, saying? So, as out of general defense of our of our of our beautiful country, I'm not going to ask you our special question: what the future is going to look like, and what what are you most looking forward to? But I think if you want to answer that briefly, <laughs> we might be almost be out of time too. Well, what am I? I think the future is going to look like. Um, I think the success to me, the successful bits of the future are going to look like um, Paris or New York or London, right? I think they look like multicultural, high density cities mm -hmm. and civil, civilized cities i think what they don't look like is sub suburbs okay i think so... the sort of the, i think the i think the 1950s 1960s american suburban dream is is long overdue a slow and painful dying death in fact, many of the things that we start, we're seeing in, in the American. i mean i've yeah i've, I've definitely seen that. i've definitely seen the growth we, we traveled around for TechCrunch a lot uh, to different yeah. cities because I wanted to see what other cities were doing and the best cities that had a little walking area cafes a little, little right. place where all That's the right. people could go sitting with their laptops and mooch yeah. off the Wi-Fi were yeah. the were the most vibrant places and but right. also you could also argue that that's the those are the places where people most I was most comfortable with would would hang out with so how do we how do we spread that out but maybe that's maybe that's a topic for another podcast oh, we need to well indeed and, uh, and lay down more cement Oh. <laughs> keep the keep the keep the antelope out of the hands of the survivalists. Uh, yeah, this poor this poor antelope. Um, I don't think there are even any, any antelope in North America, are they? Well, I'm not sure. I don't think I don't think uh, I haven't seen one in a while. No. Maybe during the last ice age. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Ben, where can people find out more about what you're doing? 
they can uh, I have a series on Netflix um, mm-hmm. about cybercrime they can see that uh, now in whatever it is 130 countries around the world I am I write a lot for uh, the British edition of Wired magazine um, so you can see things that I do there I'm on Twitter and uh, the web and there's all sorts of videos of me with various different haircuts uh, all over YouTube and <laughs> all right well that's, like... that, that's something we all can uh, <laughs> we all can uh, aspire to so thank you very much this was this has been one of the fast most fascinating ones uh, it's the, it's only the second one but I think you had you had a lot to say about a lot of things so really I'm winning appreciate. so far I'm glad yeah. thank you <laughs> thank you for joining us on Technotopia I'm John Biggs Stefan and we will see you next week.